Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Golik and Smetty here. Right, and that's something you'd say to your dad. Don't tell me what to do. Back off. Welcome to yet another edition of Golik and Smeddy. I am Mike Golik Sr. She is Jess Matana. And Jess, I mean, we are we are knee deep in sports like Ooh. crazy. We're, we're going to talk about the most important one right off the, the, the bat here. But then we're going to talk to uh, Brendan Glasheen, who is the play-by-play for the Connecticut Sun. They are in a battle with the Las Vegas Aces for the WNBA title. Again, at the taping of this, one game has been played. So by the time people are hearing this, another will have been played. But we still want to talk to Brendan to get kind of a feel where the, the Sun is, the Aces at the taping. And this, again, up one nothing in this series. We'll, we'll get to him in a moment. We've got NFL. We've got college to get to. A little F1, Verstappen still doing mm. his thing. But, Jess, I know you've been into it, and I said I was going to get into it and did, but uh, we have become the new generation and old generation of pickleball players. Okay, so you played pickleball with your wife, yes. and you liked it? Is that what I'm hearing? Yes, we did like it. We, uh, it was, Welcome it was to actually, the club, Mike. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. It is a mix between tennis and ping pong. You definitely don't <laughs> run as much as, as tennis, which is good. There were more rules to learn than I thought about like, you know, don't yeah. go, don't stand in the kitchen, you know, right. when you're in the kitchen, you can't, you have to let it bounce, blah, blah, blah. You can't volley there. The hardest thing, Jess. And, and I, actually it was, it was funny the other day I was watching like, like a pro tournament on TV and the announcer does the score before the serve. But when you're just playing, you have to do it. You have yeah. to give the score and whether you're the first server or second server, yeah. Because pickleball is different where if I'm serving and then once I lose the serve, it goes to my wife. She gets to serve then. So it's like three, two, two. Mm-hmm. You know, it's three points, two points, second server. I swear to God, we were more confused with that than actually <laughs> playing the game. That's funny that you should say that because that was actually the most confusing thing for me yes. also when I started learning the rules. And I just thought I was an idiot. But maybe we're both idiots. I, or maybe no, it's we, just hard. I don't know. <laughs> it, it, well, especially when you're trying to learn the rules of actual play. Who thinks right. reading off the score before the serve, something you have to do, is going to be as difficult as There's it is? There's too many numbers. And the other no. thing, Mike, I don't know if you find this part difficult, but you're not allowed, you have to let it bounce off the serve, and then you have to let it bounce off the second one. The second one. Yeah. And that always trips me up. I'm always ready to just smack that shit right back. Yep. Right after the serve, but you can't do it. And it just, I understand not being able to, to like, you know, do a, a, a volley after, right. you know, right off the serve. But the one after that, I feel like you, you got to, if you're serving, you got to get in a defensive position. Like you got to be ready to just score a point. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. No, I'm with you. I didn't understand it either. I'm sure there's a reason for it. I didn't ask because eh. it's not going to change anything. Rules, you know, it's rules. not like they're going to change the rules for me, but. You know, if Chris and I, and I don't know if you're doing, are going to get into like some competition, you know, we got to play it the right way, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, it was fun. Um, Chris only almost turned her ankle once. So, <laughs> but she avoided any kind Good. of major injury. I'm glad. <laughs> yeah. 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 I did not get hurt at all, but we were, we were more really learning the rules and kind of played like a semi game a little bit. So, well, I love but, that. Yeah. I, and I, I I hope we get to play together someday, Mike. Because I know that would I be do too. Just but you're, I, that would tickle me. You're way more competitive, so you're going to hit it really hard at me, though. 
Yeah, but you're a former NFL player, and I'm like a little baby with a racket, so I'm not sure what I'm going to be able to do against you. (laughs) What I didn't realize is the ball is actually like a wiffle ball. Yeah. It's like a hard wiffle ball. It doesn't seem like it should move the way it does, but it's kind of like a football almost. You're just not expecting it. It's like certain times you'll hit it. And it'll go way farther than you thought it would go. Because I guess like the, the wind picks it up. And then you're like, am I really strong? Or yeah. this, this is weird. But that's what I, I enjoy it. I like it. You know, it's it's challenging, but it's not too challenging where I feel like it's going to wreck my weekend if I play a couple games. Uh, and it's just a lot of fun. You know what I think the biggest difference is? Like if you play tennis and there's a decent like distance of talent, you can you'll you just get crushed. I mean, it's right. not even. But I think in pickleball, because it's a little closer, that it wouldn't be as bad. You could fare better even against a better person, depending on where. You, I mean, you'll still you'll did, still I, lose. I did get my ass kicked by like some really good pickleballer a couple weekends ago. Oh, you so. did. But it was still fun. It wasn't like I I didn't feel like hopeless. Like you know, you like what you're saying about tennis. Like if someone's just crushing their serve, you can't even yeah. return it. Yeah, you're and it done. Just sucks. Yeah. But yeah, I I did get my ass kicked. But Mike, I watched so much of the U.S. Open the last few weeks because of my new love of pickleball, yep. and it was re- I I'm really bummed that the the both finals were during NFL games because I don't think they got as much love as they should have because both winners were spectacular: Iga Swiatek and Carlos Alcaraz. Yeah, very uh, difficult to pronounce Spanish name there. Cause you, I want to say Alcatraz obviously, but it was like, both games were really exciting. I'm, I've finally learned how to watch tennis and I love it. And I have to give all the credit to pickleball. I agree. I completely agree. We, we, and, and I guess I watched a little less when Serena lost, but then I was, you know, watching Kyrgios because he's fun to watch. And then he had his, you know, racket smashing, you know, loss. I, I've, I've said this. If you slam your racket into the ground and break it, you should have to play. You should have to play with that racket. Nobody asked you to do it. Your temper tantrum made you break your own racket. Go play. Play with it. Go go ahead and serve one with that racket. Maybe you'll think twice about breaking your shit after that. So if you're a hockey player and you you break your stick doing something like slamming it into the ice, maybe like you you got to play with a broken stick. You have to play with that until the whistle blows. So, like, <laughs> Kyrgios would have to finish out that game or whatever yeah. with that racket, and then you can go change it. Yes, if it's because of your own stupidity or anger that you broke it, hey, okay. play with it, man. That's just that, – that's I just sit there and think of that stupid shit. <laughs> well, I like that you're complaining about the pickleball rules and then introducing even worse rules into yeah. other sports. But that's all right. Yeah. I, I, and I appreciate your uh, – your sense of humor there, Mike. I think that would make it entertaining to watch. So pickleball will continue with you and I. Hopefully someday we will meet on the court and so. uh, and, and have this out. We will see. Until then, uh, let's, uh, let's talk to Brendan Gosheen a little bit and talk some WNBA. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Brendan. So again, at the taping of this, we are we have one game in with the Aces winning 67-64 in game one. Uh, the taping of this, we're going to have game two, so everybody will already know the outcome of that. But I thought something that was interesting, now the Aces were the favorite to win this thing from the get-go, mm-hmm. but uh, something they're doing, something that we haven't seen in pro basketball in a while, and certainly not in the WNBA in a while, probably since before Brittany Griner came into the league, and that's zone defense. Something that uh, is pretty odd to watch, yet that's what the Aces used to help kind of try to slow down the sun. Look, Connecticut is a hot and cold team from the three-point line. If you look at the ebbs and flows of their season, at one point in the year, they were the number two three-point shooting team, but they don't take a lot of threes. They were at 38% for quite a bit, then that number dipped, and a big part of that is their first quarters and their struggles there. But, yeah, it's a great point, Mike, because defensively with a smaller lineup, 
they're trying to negate their strength. And Connecticut loves the front court, points in the paint, easy baskets. And their way of doing that is let's make them have to dribble and fight out of double teams and then make them beat us off the dribble, which is not one of their strengths because their backcourt is so young. So the Sun have a, a unfortunate statistic, uh, which is that they have the most playoff games uh, without a title or most playoff wins without a title, 36 wins in the playoff. But they just came off a really exciting series with the Sky who won last season. How mm. big of a confidence boost is that in terms of them overcoming this long title drought despite a lot of postseason success? Huge. There would have, Jessica, there would have been a lot of noise after uh, that game had Connecticut not uh, came back and won that game. A lot going on with this group. This this core is in the midst of their final run, potentially, with Brianna Jones set for free agency. They bring back Courtney Williams. The only proven winner they have on this roster, as far as championships, is Dewana Bonner. She won two with Diana Taurasi and the Phoenix Mercury uh, over the last decade or so. So confidence-wise, DB is a huge part of that. She had a players-only meeting after the Game 3 loss at the Mohegan Sun Arena. Connecticut has, I think, their best game of the year in Game 4. And then in Game 5, no panic, down 11 points in the fourth quarter. Huge confidence booster. But at the end of the day, they look at it like, don't count us out. Still unfinished business. They were in the finals in 2019. It came up short to Washington. But I think they started just playing and not being so tight. And it, it felt tight in the first round. It felt tight up until that game four in the semifinals against the sky. As I mentioned earlier, Aces has been basically the favorite from the, uh, the beginning of the season. So in, in a bigger picture, I know you do, you do the work with the sun, but in a bigger picture for the WNBA and really even bigger than that, Becky Hammond, her first year with the Aces, coach of the year. We know she coached under Papa in San Antonio. She's always been the name on the tip of everybody's tongue as going to be the first woman head coach in the NBA. So while she comes into the WNBA and is phenomenal right out, out of the gate, which I don't think surprised a lot of people, do we still hear talk in the WNBA circles that she is someone that can, that can move up to the, the NBA level and be a head coach? Oh, for sure. I think Becky had options, right? And she made a choice to help elevate the W and make her presence felt like Bill Lambeer left a great legacy with the Aces and they had a great run. But Becky saw an opportunity, Mike, to take them over the top, looked at the roster. It's a championship made roster, as we've come to find out, as you said, the favorite for most of the season right up there at the top for most of the year with Chicago, as far as the odds go over on the DraftKings Sportsbook. And then um, yeah, just they've, they've got a sense of unfinished business too. Asia Wilson wins the MVP, has been in big spots. Kelsey Plum has been challenged by Becky Hammond telling Kelsey all year, you want to be the best point guard in the league? You got to go out there and be a killer there at the end of games. And, and the narrative too in these, in these WNBA finals is Kurt Miller coached Becky Hammond. So there's a great little uh, battle there going back to their playing and coaching days in the, in the college level. But Becky, I think Becky's track record already speaks for itself. If yeah, she signed a massive deal with Vegas, I don't think she's going anywhere, but really, really admirable that she took the job and she's trying to elevate these women and she's handled it like she won coach of the year and didn't make it a big deal. She, she made it about the team and that she's trying to do what a lot of folks, Mike, are trying to do in this league and that's elevate the players. And that's what I give Becky so much credit for. So overall, and Jess, I guess I'll ask you as as well in this, for the W, I mean, to have Becky Hammond in there is obviously huge. Do you want to see her go to the NBA? Or would you like her to stay in the W and, and keep keep that building block going? Yeah, well, I, I don't really necessarily think we should consider like the WNBA job as being a second-tier job because she's coaching some of the best basketball players in, in the country, in the world, at what at what they do. And so I think that it's awesome that she's their coach. And I don't necessarily, it, it's just always disappointing when someone's successful, either as like a, a women's college coach or a WNBA coach to be like, well, there's always one more step. Mm. I will say the counter to that is that you can make more money in the NBA or as a men's head basketball coach, um, because we just value men's sports more. And Brendan, I'm not trying to like, you know, uh, this isn't a criticism of you. It's just naturally what we kind of turn these conversations into when we see someone be really successful coaching one of these teams. So I'm, I'm happy that she's coaching the aces. She's done a really good job and it'd be, it'd be cool to see her build a dynasty there. Yeah. I, I only use the word admirable Jessica, because she, she I'm using the coach of the year award as an example. 
She didn't make it about her. She's trying to elevate. These players need their platforms to be risen. Like the marketing of these players as individuals. You see Jonquel Jones, the, the Connecticut reigning MVP on the State Farm commercial. We see Sue Bird plenty in, in commercials. Sylvia Fowles just retired. Those have been great individual stories of all-time greats. But the question now for the WNBA, how do you elevate the next wave of young superstars? Mike, you know Jack, you know Jackie Young, Arike Gumbawale coming out of Notre Dame. Those are great players. Arike's in in Texas. They play in Arlington. And and that's look, I love the Dallas Wings. They're they're great people, but how do we get more folks excited about Arike in Dallas? She's she's a big part of what they're doing. I think Becky, it's admirable that she's made it about the players. And it's not to say that she could have I'm not trying to make it sound like it's a step back coaching the Aces as opposed to the Blazers, for example, when she was in the running for that job. But it's mm-hmm. admirable that she understands what kind of weight and what kind of meaning she could have on the league. Yeah, and yeah. listen, I, I'm Jess, I'm with you. These are the best. It is the professional ranks. These are the best players in the world. So I completely get what you're saying. But every time we talk to somebody from the W, it is they do talk about, okay, what's next? How do we get more visible? Yeah. How does, oh, how does marketing improve more? Certainly mm-hmm. Becky being there is going to help. But I guess for, for both of you, and Brennan, we can start with you. What what can be next for them? Next for the next for the, the league? The, the, the next yeah, step? Yeah, and, and, and to take that next step. Yeah, I think win, winning titles is, is helpful and being on the biggest stage at the end. I, I will say this. I, I really wish there was a way that the W could have found a way to not compete with the NFL uh, in these WNBA finals. That would be a criticism of mine to, to figure out how to – now, tonight, uh, Tuesday night, we're again over recording after, but Tuesday you avoid that problem, but having Sunday, Thursday, Sunday in these finals is not ideal. Right. Um, but the, the, the next step, I think, it, it's, it sounds corny. It sounds silly. Um, but telling people to go to games and the attendance at these Vegas games have been fantastic. I plan on going to the Mohegan on Thursday and Sunday. Sunday's already more sold out than Thursday and Thursday and Sunday's no guarantee because it's a game four. It's a best of five series, but continuing encourage folks to go to games and actually consume the product. TV deals are certainly important in sports. I realize that to help elevate not only, um, the, the, the player contracts, you know, Becky, you know, Becky's contract, player contracts. That's a big step too to pay these women as they should be, and that and that brings up the conversation of overseas play and how the CBA looks going into next year. That players have to make a choice if they have more than two years of service time. They've got to make a choice between the W and their overseas commitments. They have to be on time for training camp. It feels like that can be maneuvered a bit, but that. That's important, like making sure that they can also still make their living overseas. But also, if you're going to make them come and play and prioritize training camp in your season, the WNBA will compensate properly, get the TV deal uh, straightened out and and strengthen that. But also just getting more folks to go to games um, in markets that might not be as strong. Seattle's going to be fine, I think. The New York Liberty have done really well with Sabrina Ionescu in the league. That's for sure. Can Minnesota find the next piece? I'm just using examples. Um, and Connecticut's done well, too, over the years. They've done a really good job at home court. So just encouraging more folks to go. So when you watched game one and you saw the Sun come in as a bit of an underdog because mm. of how stacked this Aces team is, what were some of the matchups that you were looking at and what are things that you think they will try to focus on to win the series out? Yeah, look, Jessica, I think it's the interior of Connecticut. Their, their, their big three, Kurt Miller, was very complimentary of his big three in the, in the paint. Brianna Jones, who just won sixth woman of the year out of Maryland. John Quell Jones, the reigning MVP, and then Alyssa Thomas, who also played over at Maryland. She uh, she was the comeback player of the year last year uh, because of her return from the Achilles injury. But can that trio slow down the small ball lineup of the Vegas Aces? Asia Wilson, fantastic player. Re- Rebecca Lobo, we, we did some games together. Rebecca's a, a friend, and we, we exchanged texts, and Rebecca and I are in sync on this. Asia Wilson, probably their best player, MVP. Chelsea Gray, their point guard, who came over from Vegas, uh, from Los Angeles a couple years ago. Probably their most important player. If you watched her at all in that Seattle semifinal series, wow. Shot making at the end of games, step back threes, free throw line, contested turnaround jump shots. Like Chelsea Gray has made daggers in this in this WNBA playoffs so far. So finding a way to get Chelsea Gray 
to not dominate off the dribble. <laughs> and for Connecticut, they need to uh, continue to get easy baskets. Points in the paint, rebound the basketball against that smaller lineup. And uh, yeah, I mean, points, points, in the, points in the paint, points off turnovers, those little secondary scoring pieces are going to help them. And they got to win the game. Like the score that game one score would have was edge Connecticut. Like they want a game played in the sixties. Vegas wants to win the game 90 to 80. Um, so that helped Connecticut. So I still think even though uh, they, they're down in the series or they could be tied wherever they may be, there's, they're still in a pretty good position. Yeah. I listened to the ESPN daily today that uh, Sue bird was being interviewed and she said, multiple times how she thinks that if they if the storm was able to keep Chelsea Gray to like maybe 50% or under um they would have won that series and she instead she was just it seemed like she was making every shot so it seems like that's going to be a priority so how do you how do you do that with huh. a player like Chelsea Gray uh great question you got to keep her in front of you you can't lose you can't lose sight of her you need to make her give up the ball she's a willing passer that, and that's what I thought Chicago, if indeed they got by Connecticut, I think Vegas and Chicago are very similar. So I think Vegas, from a game planning standpoint, would not have been too worried about Chicago coming in because they remind each other uh, of one another with a dominating post player, Candace, Asia, and then some really good surrounding cast pieces. But Vegas is such a good passing team, and, and Jackie Young's really good, and De'Erica Hamby's really good. They've got Raquana Williams now. Who, who came off the bench. Do they the, do they have any bad players? It seems like they're <laughs> yeah, just well, You know, Jessica, that's a great point. It's a reminder when you watch this time of year when there's only 12 teams in your league and there's 10 or 11 players on each roster, it's the 140-ish best to play the sport at this point. And when you go to the Final Four, hard to find someone who stinks and hard to find someone who will not come on the floor and make an impact. So they've got to find a way to give make Chelsea Gray give up the ball and – Jackie Young has proven at her young age that she is ready for the big stage. So contest shots. They got to contest shots and not let uh, not let Vegas beat them on the three-point line. That's probably my best advice to containing the Vegas offense. So we always know in big-time series, big-time games, the big-time players step up, and we've, we've mentioned them on both sides. But there's always that ancillary player or two on a team in a championship series that all of a sudden has their moment. Who for the sun can be that person? One or two people outside of the stars that you count on can be that person. Love, love this question because they've, they've both had moments. I'll, I'll name two. Um, they're not all stars. They are role pieces, but I want to shout out Natisha Heideman, who is the former big East player of the year at Marquette. Long story short, took over as the starting point guard a week or two into the season because starting point guard, son, captain jazz Thomas, tore ACL. So Natisha in her fourth WNBA season takes on the burden of, yeah, you're going to be the starting point guard. So you've got to be the one, unlike Vegas, who has a ton of experience at that position, point guard, shooting guard. You're going to not only be the point guard of our team, but you need to make sure you keep all these superstars happy, get them the ball. You're going to make threes at a 40% clip. Oh, and we need you to guard in all likelihood, the other team's best guard. A lot of good point guards in this league, as we've talked about on the show already. Natisha has risen to that moment, has shot a high clip, average nine a game. If it weren't for Jackie Young in Vegas, Natisha Heideman probably has a real shot at most improved player in the league because Jackie's numbers have just been insane. Natisha's been great. And then maybe a familiar name to folks who watched the Final Four in 2020, UConn Baylor, Dijanae Carrington out of Baylor, transferred in from Stanford was a big part of that game at the end, did not get the foul called. Everyone, you know, Mulkey v. Gino, great little uh, battle there at the end. Yeah. Not, not a happy Mulkey at the end there in the press conference, yeah. if you think back, but Carrington's defense off the bench has been huge for the Sun. Energizer Bunny gives them that spark to get out on the break. Energy on the bench, even in celebration. So Heideman for the Sun, as well as Dijanae Carrington. They've been some fan favorites, and they have risen to the occasion here in these uh, these playoffs. Well, uh, we'll see what those two names can do and what the Sun can do to try and come back on the Aces here in this series, see how it plays out. But probably, uh, Brennan, before I let you go, probably the most important question, uh, the Sun home games are at uh, uh, Mohegan Casino, which I I used to go to all the time when I lived and worked at ESPN. So the question to you is, do you wait to hit the casino? Do you do it before the game or do you wait till after the game before you go throw down all your money on the blackjack? Well, uh, I'll say this Sunday, Sunday, they, they, they don't play till four. It works out great because uh, you know, you got the, you got football on at one. That's always nice. And then you can 
kind of let the day flow and then head into the game. But yeah, they, they take care of me over at the Mohegan. I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> Love hearing that. Love it. Well, we, we certainly do appreciate your time uh, to talk a little bit about Sun and Aces and see where this one goes. Um, we appreciate it. Thanks, Brendan. Big fan of both of you. I'm so happy you're both been at DraftKings and it's going well so far. Um, thank you so much for thinking of me. And yeah, I appreciate the the love for the W. So let's uh, let's keep it going. Yes. Very excited. Hopefully we get to talk to you after the Sun yeah. win a championship. Make a comeback. Yeah, in this mm. one, yeah. Oh, Mike, Mike right, we'll have so to get you back over at the Mohegan. We'll, we'll make it a whole, we'll make it a whole party. Although, Mike, Mike, are, are we rooting for the Aces because of Jackie Young, or is that just uh, I don't know. It's a tough call. I know. Well, Mike, Chanae used to play in Connecticut. You got to come. I know. I know. <laughs> I'll, I'll wait and see how the series goes, and I'll make my pick right as it's going to end. <laughs> just sounds Stugats smart. Is strong in you. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. <laughs> All right, Mike, we filibustered long enough talking about pickleball and tennis and the WNBA finals to now the topic that unfortunately we, we need to cover, but we'll keep it short because we do have to talk about NFL week one. This weekend was, uh, if you are a Notre Dame fan, a Texas A&M fan, a Nebraska fan, a Texas fan, not a great weekend, but we of course are Notre Dame fans. So it was especially difficult to see Notre Dame start the season 0-2 with a home loss against the Marshall Thundering Herd. Mike, there are some fans calling for heads to roll. There are other people dancing on our graves. What, what do you make of this uh, home opening loss against Marshall? Not going to lie, I was a little surprised. Um, were you? I, so I yeah. think everyone was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was at, Chris and I were at the game, and it was like one of those where we, we've seen when Notre Dame, and I can't even say plays down to the competition because Marshall was the better team. They won yeah. the game. But where they're not doing what we think they should be doing, but then we always think, oh, they'll be fine. They'll pull it out. Right. So when, when Notre Dame went up, I think it was 15 to 12, we were like, okay, all right. They'll get another touchdown. They'll pad it a little bit, and then everything will be just fine. That doesn't happen. Marshall gets, you know, is is getting turnovers and going the other way with it. And all of a sudden, we're like, oh, shit. We're in trouble because we don't really see a passing offense, especially against – we're like, okay, Ohio State, we're not going to pass to get back in this game. We just don't have enough to go against Ohio State. But then against Marshall, I was thinking, okay, we should be able to do that, and we couldn't even do that. And then Tyler mm-hmm. Buckner gets hurt in that one, and now he's done for the year. Um, so that you know, that's another issue they'll have to deal with. But this was one I thought the O-line and D-line would take this game over, Jess. I thought, let's put our hand in the dirt on offense. Let's run the ball. Let's pound it, because that's certainly what Marshall wanted to do on the other side. And let's let our D-line get after it as well. And to Marshall's credit, it was their lines of scrimmage that were controlling it. So um, surprising for me to see that. Um, I, I'm sure Marcus is like, okay, we've got, and everybody, we have a little more work than we thought. And now you're doing it with uh, a backup quarterback for the rest of the year. Right. And now you're, if you're a Notre Dame fan, you're looking at the rest of the schedule and thinking, all right, so these games that we thought would be yes. tight, but Notre Dame would win against B- BYU even North Carolina, Syracuse, North Carolina's got a great quarterback. Um, Even though they almost lost to a Sunbelt team two two weeks ago, not a great defense, but yeah, like these uh, USC, especially Clemson, like these games now seem like they're going to be uh, pretty, pretty close, uh, pretty tough to watch for Notre Dame fans. So yeah, Mike, it was not a great start to the Marcus Freeman era. I'm still a big fan of his. I don't think that you give up or, you know, condemn the program and try to tear it all down after two games. There's obviously um, a big problem on offense that they're going to have yeah. to deal with the rest of the season. I, I don't know, you know, you have more of a, a trained eye than me in terms of, of watching defensive play and like D line play, but I thought the defense didn't actually concern me too much. What I saw at the end of the game was that the offense just like was not helping out. And so the defense was, they had to make every play to win the game. And at a certain point, you're just, you can't, you can't make, you can't stop every third down because you've been on the field for so long or you're, or you're just gassed. Marshall's throwing everything they have at you and, and there's nothing you can do about it. But is that what you saw or did you see well, like, some inexperience there too? Well, I mean, on defense, I'm not seeing enough one-on-one wins. You know, we, and I, I've talked about this a lot over the years. You can get all the game planning you want in. You try and game plan for matchups. Then you have the chess match of the 
coordinators on the sidelines calling plays. When do you call this play? When do you call that play? And, and I get it. There are matchups you get. You try to confuse. If you can confuse, you, you can get a win. But at the end of the day, football comes down to one-on-one matchups. The end of the day, you can call whatever defense you want. Our DN has to beat their offensive tackle and get a pass rush. Our wide receiver has to beat the press of a cornerback to get open. You know, you have to play zone correctly so you don't drift and open up a big hole. So it comes down to execution by individual players against other individual players. And right now we're just not winning those battles. And I, I defensively, I think we will can start to win those battles. Offensively, I'm trying to trying to see where it's going to happen. Right? You know, you have Michael Mayer, you know, but Michael Mayer, you know, is not at this point is more intermediate routes you know you're not seeing you know seam routes down the field you, you probably will because you want to try and get it to him everywhere but yeah uh, i'm buckner's barely been throwing any of those and now you exactly. know like you said he's out for the season so i i don't think we necessarily even know what uh this offense will look like with drew pine other than what we saw a little bit last season but with different weapons and without some of the really like spectacular players Notre Dame had on the offense last year. But in terms of like comparing this to the Texas A&M game, which was the other huge upset of the yes. weekend, Texas A&M losing to App State. So that game was entirely uh, Appalachian State just ran the game from the start. They had right. their time of possession was more. They had more first downs. They were just in control from the start and had the correct game plan to out play Texas A&M despite the fact that Texas A&M has you know the four and five star recruits right this Notre yeah. Dame Marshall game it was much closer in terms of first downs in terms of times of possession in terms of passing yards the one thing that I will say Marshall ran the ball all over Notre Dame's defense so that that is one thing from the defense that does concern me but uh it was it was much closer it wasn't it wasn't like a schematic you know they had the winning game plan thing. No. Like they just dominated well, they Notre did. Dame on all sides of the ball, I think. Right. And when you when you talk about the lines of scrimmage, that's a lot of time what I'm talking about. You know, as a former interior D lineman, when a guard's trying to block me, I gotta get off the guard and make a play. You know, or I gotta keep my linebacker clean so he can make a play. Marshall ran for like three hundred and eighty two yards against Norfolk State, but we all said it's Norfolk State. But we knew they were gonna try and run the ball. And my thought was we should be able to stop that, and we right. didn't. So, again, kudos to Marshall for executing. Again, that's what it comes down to, any game plan you want. But they were executing the game plan, and I got trapped in that, oh, we'll come back, we'll be fine. Okay, we're up three, we'll go up a little more, yeah. and that'll be the end of it. And Marshall said, nope, not today. So now any game, I mean, hell, Cal's coming in this week. I mean, yeah. I, I can't sit there and say – oh, yeah, we'll, we'll be favored by 20 again like we were against Marshall and blah, 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 here we go. Man, I have, I, have, I have no idea what to expect out of this team. But like you said, and we know that with Notre Dame, two games in in the, this regular season, three total for Marcus, people already, oh, you never should have hired an assistant. Right, yeah, right. no, I mean, oh, my God, people, just, you know, I, you can sit there and say stop it, but they're not going to. That's that's what we do. We are a microwave immediate society about solving problems. Yeah. Well, I, we should say no, Notre Dame is still a double-digit favorite over Cal heading into this weekend. Hopefully, Marcus Freeman can get his first home win, his first win in general yes. since taking yes. over as head coach because they obviously gave up a big lead in the Fiesta Bowl, and now that's being counted against him in the, that 0-3 statistic that's been everywhere, which I think is a little, like, yeah. I don't know about that. It, that was like, I don't know if we should count that. It's bad enough losing to Marshall at home. We don't need to throw in the Fiesta Bowl, which was right after he got hired, didn't have his staff in place. You got players opting out. Right. Uh, Notre Dame still almost won it. And don't get me wrong, if they had won that game, I would be counting it in my personal record book. But uh, I don't know if, if the 0 and 3 thing is, is necessary. Salt in the wounds, like 0 and 2s bad enough but it, Mike it is confusing going back to the Ohio State game two weeks ago it is really confusing to watch this Notre Dame team hang in there with one of the best offenses in the country yep. and be leading at half and then come in at home and just lay a turd on the field uh so I that's why I haven't you know completely been like a oh, woe is me this is the end of the world they're gonna go you know they're gonna lose 10 games like there's still something in this team that I think is really good and I still I still have a lot of faith in the defense and 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 the coaching staff but they just need to score some points and, yep. and yep. finish a game 
to, to me, that's the biggest part is the offensive side. You know, that's going to be a lot on Tommy Reese. How do you, you know, people getting on Tommy Reese for not opening up the offense. Well, you can't open up the offense. They, they don't have the ability right now from a passing quarterback to wide receivers to open up the offense. So, you know, to, to just sit there and say that blanketly is just, again, that's why fan is short for fanatic. These people want to see results right now. One thing I'll leave with before I jump into just a hair, a, a bit of college before we get to the NFL and I want to start the NFL with your team because, man, what a game that was for the Steelers. But I wonder, and I'm not using this as, well, this is why Marshall beat Notre Dame, but everybody can kind of do their own research into this. And I remember my wife bringing this up in our family group chat. Is the portal, the transfer portal, helping parity? Because if you go down the list, and again, I will not sit there and say this is why Marshall won, but maybe this is why Marshall it, you know, I know they were 20-point dogs, but they're, they're, they're a good ball team. And they do, by the way, both in the Sun Belt with App State. They play November 12th. Marshall is home to App State, so we'll, we'll see how, where that one goes. <laughs> but go down – I ask people, go down Marshall's roster, and you will notice all the Power 5 transfers that yeah. came to that team from the Louisvilles of the world, from the Florida States of the world, and other teams. They had a number, I think double-digit, of players – who for whatever reason went to their power five team and weren't playing or the fit wasn't right or whatever it was. And now because you could transfer and play right away that one time, we're seeing it happen more often. These rosters are a little different. So Marshall all of a sudden has got Louisville players, Florida state players, other power five, uh, other, other, you know, um, power five conference players on their team. So I think some of these teams are, are building up extremely well through the portal. Well, from a Notre Dame fan perspective, it sucks because you just lost to a bunch of these players that are, are super talented, like the you know, Florida State player who was running all over Notre Dame's yep. defense, former Florida State player. But like from a college football fan perspective, like that's awesome. And and I I love that, you know, players are getting second chances on teams where they're going to make an immediate impact and not getting dinged for a year because of I don't know NCAA said so uh so without having the numbers in front of me Mike maybe maybe that will be borne out I I don't have enough uh statistics to like prove that it will help the smaller teams because the bigger teams are still the better recruiters who are going to be able to get these guys to begin with so it remains to be seen it, it can, and, and the ways that it helps the smaller teams it could also help the bigger teams when maybe you're Clemson and you're one uh you know starting corner away from dominating and you're able to get that now whereas in the past if you whiff on a recruiting cycle right you're kind of stuck with what you have but I mean Clemson's a bad example because Dabo Sweeney is not a big fan of the portal and the ways that all these different coaches have kind of different philosophies about it also is going to impact how that ends up working out but yeah Mike uh I'd rather be a Notre Dame fan I guess this weekend than a Texas A&M fan because at least this isn't happening in like year five of the Marcus Freeman uh right, tenure right um also you know would, would rather not be a Nebraska fan now without a coach for the rest of the season. Scott Frost getting fired on Sunday after it, just three games is, is crazy to me and getting a, an extra $7.5 million because they didn't wait until October. Is that, un- I mean, that's how bad it has to be is they, if where they waited two more weeks for those that don't know, Scott Frost was fired as a head coach in Nebraska. His buyout was $15 million. If they fired him after, I think it was October 2nd, the buyout got cut in half to $7.5 million. They didn't even wait. They weren't even going to say from a from a business standpoint, we'll let this go a couple of more weeks so your buyout is less. I wonder if there was some alum, rich alum, that said, listen, don't <laughs> care about it. I'll throw in that 7.5 that you could have saved just so we get rid of them. Yeah. I feel bad, you know, because here's Scott Frost, a Nebraska grad, Trying to go back, this is this is his dream job. You know, you know he he wants to win anywhere he's coaching. You saw what he did at, at UCF, but I mean, it's just so special to go back to your home school and coach, and to have it not only to fail but to be extraordinarily as horrific as it was is I I, I do feel for him. That's for sure. Yeah, well, I don't know how much I feel for someone who just made. Double-digit well, millions. Yeah, I get that. To not have a job because that yeah. is the dream, Mike. Yes, it is. That is like everyone made fun of Charlie Weiss. Like, oh, you're so bad. Like, you're getting fired, and they're paying you so much money to not have to coach Notre Dame. I'm like, Charlie Weiss figured it out. 
Like that is, I, I don't even know why he went to Kansas afterwards. He should have just sat at home and just enjoyed the rest of his life and not worked another day because that's exactly what I would do. Being a fired head football coach in college is the absolute American dream. Did, did you see and hear Ed Orgeron's line? This yes. was yes. unbelievable. He was, he was somewhere in front of some group and they were talking about it, talking about him being fired. And his line was, I was sat down, I think it was with the AD or whoever it was. And they said, you know, your buyout is $17.1 million and you're getting all of that to which Ed Orgeron said, that's great. What time you want me to leave and what door you want me to leave out of? I mean, you're not kidding. I mean, like your pride gets hurt that you got fired. But man, when you're floating out on a boatload of cash, there ain't nothing wrong with that. It softens the blow for sure. Yes. I, no, and I'm sure you're right. I'm sure Scott Frost feels feels terrible about, oh, about all of it. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Nebraska fans are not happy with how this went down. They wanted him to be successful too, I yeah. think. Um, this was like a, a dream situation sure. for Scenario, them to, yeah. to bring him back. But but yeah, it's, it's a tough business. And losing to Northwestern in week zero in Ireland once again, why even schedule that game? Why agree to go to a neutral site in week zero when everyone's going to be watching? And now this onside kick's probably going to haunt him for the rest of his life. Yep. You could have just waited until a week. You could have lost to Nebraska on a week where no one's paying attention. And maybe you'd still be the head coach. But then maybe you wouldn't have the extra eight mil. So I don't there know. You, there you go. Where He's got, got, got some extra cash. So <laughs> we're, we're done with uh, week two of college football. The top five is in order. Georgia, they jumped over Bama. It's Georgia, Bama, Ohio State, Michigan, and Clemson. And that was, you know, kudos to Texas. I mean, yeah. they, they had Bama. I mean, and Bama ends up getting a one-point win there. And Quinn Ewers, who I thought I had never seen play, the kid who went to Ohio State with the big NIL deal, barely played there, transfers to Texas, wins the starting job. I really enjoyed the way he was throwing the ball. I thought he looked really good. And then he gets slammed to the turf, and all of a sudden he's out now. I'm uh, going to be out for a bit. So, and, and, and even with that, Texas was still in that game. Yeah. You had one play at the end where a kid was screaming from the outside, had a chance to tackle Bryce Young. That could have been the game. And Bryce Young escapes from that. And next thing you know, they're up one and win that game. So they escape with their lives, but a good showing by Texas. My two takeaways from this game, number one, playing on, on a campus site against a non-conference opponent is always going to be awesome. Alabama has played so many of these games in Mercedes-Benz Stadium or Jerry World, and I love that they finally took a trip to Texas and played in front of that crowd because I think that absolutely had to do with the way that this game shook out. Like, it was so fun to watch. The crowd was so into it, and Texas hung in there until the last play of the game. My second takeaway, Mike, Alabama looks weak in a few positions, and yeah. they look, like, very, very beatable. And that is not something that you can say about most Alabama teams. Um, I guess I have one more takeaway, which is that if if LSU beats Alabama this year, I will just probably wow move to Alaska. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's hope not. <laughs> let's let's because uh, yeah, we know Brian Kelly. Unfortunately, he's had some tough times against. Alabama, one one we both witnessed way back when uh, in the 2013 title game. Yeah, all right. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry I even brought that up. All right, I, we're done with too. college. We're done. We're Let's done. move we're on done. to the Steelers. Let's. I mean, this was, uh, and I'm not just starting here because you're, you know, a Steeler fan. What a game that was. I I I thought for sure since you would win uh, that game, but four interceptions by Burrow. He was sacked six times. When we thought maybe they fixed that offensive line with four new starters, he was still sacked six times. And Cincinnati was in position to win this game a couple of times. Yeah. And they didn't. And this is when, you know, when everybody goes in a bathroom during a special team play, this is why you don't. <laughs> I mean. The, you better the, the hold it. Yeah. The backup short snapper for snapping on field goals and extra points because their their regular one got hurt. They got a bicep injury. So this this backup tight end Wilcox is in there snapping, and man, what what a difference you see when when the snap, hold, and kick we see it all done so quickly. We see the extra point, the snap is slow, you know, and gets blocked. Then we yeah. see the field going overtime, the snap. He's probably trying to throw it faster, so it goes real high, and then uh, the, the the kick is missed. So wow, I mean, for all that since he did bad in that game, and all that Pittsburgh did good. 
Cincy could have come out on top on that one, but for Pittsburgh to get a, a division win on the road in week one, you have to be ecstatic for that. Oh, absolutely. I don't know how many wins the Steelers team has in them. For the defense to have, like you said, four interceptions and six sacks and still almost lose the game, how are you going to uh, – that game plan is not going to work against everyone else in the NFL. So, like, there has to be some answers on offense. I'd like to see maybe some more targets to Deontay Johnson and George Pickens down the road. Um, Mitch Trubisky was fine. He was okay. Like, he – nothing nothing – new to report there and no, he went like no. 21 for 38 for for nearly 200 yards right and a, and a touchdown like eh, fine whatever i the, mean five yards of throw i mean it yeah was, the, the, it was it was nothing you're gonna write home about no and the, but, the the run game wasn't very good it wasn't there Najee harris got hurt at one point but it sounds like right? he'll be back but yeah it was it was a difficult game to watch offensively but mike i know as a defensive player I, you'll agree with me here when you're watching a game where the defense is playing as well as that Steelers defense did against the Bengals, it is so fun to watch. You're almost excited when you watch your offense punted away because you know something crazy is about to happen <laughs> on the other side of the football. And that's how I felt watching the, the game, certainly in the first half. Obviously, at the end of the game, Joe Burrow actually scored the go-ahead touchdown to Jamar Chase before the actual go-ahead touchdown. But right. for some reason, the Bengals didn't challenge it. Why didn't they challenge that? That was stunning to me. Because I have no P idea. Pittsburgh had a great goal line stand there. Yeah. But, I mean, I have no – maybe because they thought, oh, we have it on the half-yard line first I think down. so. But, but that's an wow. in, incredibly miscalculated decision yes. to make against the way that that defense had been just abusing the Bengals' O-line the entire game, Mike. Um, but like what, like what you said, this is four new O-line players uh, behind, you know, in front of Joe Burrow. Right. Last year they had a lot of – he got sacked 70 times, I think, last season on the way to the, you know, yep. Super Bowl. Um, does it take a while for offensive line players to mesh like that? Is this something that we're even seeing with Notre Dame's well, offensive line? Like, is, do you just turn it on week one and suddenly you're you're playing well together? And, and, or? and you can't because that's, that's the group that has to play – the best together because there's five of them. And let's be honest, you don't get enough live practice in training camp because you can't go two, two, two days or two practices in a row with pads on. These guys aren't playing a lot in the preseason. So yeah, it can be tough, tough for the most important group to have cohesion, to not have cohesion. And that's the offensive line. So we'll see most teams in week one, you see they're a different team in week five or week eight. So you know, time will tell at that. But you mentioned the Pittsburgh, and I love watching a great defense, but Cam Hayward hurt. T.J. Watt may be done for the year. Yeah. If he has to have pec surgery, he's done for the year. So, I mean, there were a number of injuries. It was bloody. Right it was bloody, but it, it was, was fun, Mike. And that's why yeah. I'm going to enjoy this week because I don't know how many games like this the Steelers are going to win. It, more likely than not, um, this will be a bright point over a mediocre season. And that's okay because I, I'm going to enjoy the hell out of it right now. It was fun to watch. Yeah, it, it definitely was fun to watch. The first week was fun to watch. I did shitty on my picks because <laughs> you just don't know in week one. And that game, let's go to the last game, then we can fill in a little bit. Uh -huh. The Monday night game. Oh, my God. I, I thought the only drama there was going to be the first time Russell Wilson ran out onto the field and got cheered or booed, and then Denver would take care of everything else. The hell do I know? Here's Seattle, who everybody is talking about rebuilding. You know, Geno Smith's a quarterback. Everybody wants to mock that. And here they are winning the game. Again, a little controversy at the end. So I wonder your thought process. For those that didn't see it, it was there was a, a short pass to the side by Russell Wilson. They had a fourth and five on like their – on Seattle's 45-yard line with a minute to go in the clock running, and they had all their timeouts. Yeah. So everybody's thinking, okay, timeout. Let's let's see what we want to do here. And I, I, my thought was, well, it's fourth and five. You're on the 45-yard line of, of Seattle. You kick a field goal. It's a 64-yarder. You got Russell Wilson. You're going for it. Right. So all of a sudden, the clock's running down, running down. We're going, what the hell? And then it gets to like one on the play clock. They call a timeout with, what was it, like 20 seconds left or something like that, and they go for the field goal. I mean, it was so bizarre to go for a 64-yard field goal. You're trusting that when your kicker's longest had been 61, <laughs> and he had missed a number of 60-yarders. I think it was one for eight yeah. in 60-yarders. And you have Russell Wilson, and you need five yards. I, I, I was stunned at that decision.
Mike, I am so much less qualified than an NFL head coach, and yet I think I could have managed the final drive much more competently than Nathaniel Hackett. My only defense of him will be that it's his first game, and it's better to screw up in your first game and learn from it than yeah. screw up, you know, 20 games from now when it matters. But it was hard to watch that sequence. I don't know if you saw the clip of Peyton and Eli Manning oh, watching yeah. it, Peyton's but just Peyton like, time was out. like, time out, time out. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it was, it was, why were they burned? They burned 40 seconds just stay, They didn't even try to draw the defense off sides, which I thought nothing. maybe they would at least try to do that, get five more yards, or I, I don't even know. But 64 yards is one of would be one of the longest field goals in NFL history. Why are you been feel the, like would have been yeah? Uh, and I guess my if I put myself in Nathaniel Hackett's head right there, he's probably thinking, "Don't screw up." And the safe option somehow to him seems like let the kicker go out there and kick it, and that's safer than let Russell Wilson try to get five yards. To me, that's the opposite of the equation yes. of, of like what would actually be the safer option. And what and you can, if, if Russell Wilson doesn't get the five yards, you can defend it as we believe in our quarterback. We paid him two hundred and forty million dollars. Yep, we traded for him. We're gonna ride with him. We're gonna exactly. We're gonna yeah. give him the shot. Like he's he's he earned that shot. He deserves the sh that shot. But instead, you give it to your kicker, and it was Mike. It was hard to watch, but. It was fun to watch too. I missed football. I missed oh. it. the best part of all of it was like it was such a clearly obvious wrong call that I have not even seen a single person try to defend it. And usually when when coaches yes. make conservative decisions, there's someone out there who's like, "Well, you know, I could see the the blah blah blah," but no, no, no. This was just bad. As I mean, and, and I try and do that in all the years <laughs> of of analyzing, try and say, "Okay, let me put myself in in their shoes." Why did they do that? And I just, and, and I heard him talk like, said something like, we just got sacked or something the play before. And no, you didn't. I mean, you, you didn't get sacked the play before. I'm, we weren't moving the ball in big chunks, I think was one. So I'm trying to listen to his reasoning, but I'm with you. I just, I just can't believe so. And I know we're in a day of analytics and picking what's the percentages of what's best and what you think is the best move. I don't know how anybody even if you had to make the choice in 10 seconds, mm -hmm. say 64-yard field goal or Russell Wilson at the helm trying to get me five yards. I mean, it is almost such a no-brainer. Yeah. Now, again, we're, 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 you know, Monday morning couching it and, mm -hmm. you know, not in the moment. But, I mean, that's and, – and I agree with your point. It's a first-time head coach. You got to kind of be a step ahead, kind of like when you're playing pool or something. What's the next shot I want to make? You know where you are on the field. You see what you're gaining. A lot of times you already have it in your head. Hey, play this play like we're going for it on fourth down. Maybe that influences your play call. So, yeah, it just seemed like a whole lot went wrong there. And it's something that they're going to have to, uh, Nathaniel Hackett's going to have to uh, to live with. So that's how it all ended. There, As we mentioned, there were some, some big injuries, but maybe the biggest one was the game I was doing. I, I called for Westwood won the Tampa Bay at Dallas game. Yeah. And while Dallas's offense looked awful, I mean, just awful. So even if Dak didn't get hurt, you would be like, okay, where are they getting the offense from? But you would expect it to get a little better. For Tampa Bay, they kicked way more field goals, only got one touchdown. I'm sure Tom was pretty ticked about that. But then at the end of the game, you know, Dak makes that throw. He gets hit in the thumb. Yeah. He goes off the field. And we were doing some post-game uh, uh, talk on Westwood One, Jess, and we had the monitors up there. And on the monitor, they had shown, they were showing, and it turned out going out on Twitter, one of the trainers coming out, and you could kind of tell he was delivering the news to Mike McCarthy because when Dak got hurt, he ran right into the locker room. And as I said on air, he's going in to get x-rays. That's the reason you're running in there. Well, then after the game, they're showing the trainer talking to McCarthy, and you see McCarthy just stop. You see him drop his head almost like, you got to be shitting me. Like, mm -hmm. he just got delivered the news that there was a fracture in the thumb, which there was, and now he's going to miss some time. So, just devastating for the Cowboys, who a lot of people have them picked to win the East. I picked the Eagles, but a lot of people have the Cowboys to win it. And, man, what a damper here. So, Cooper Rush, who knows that system, you know, been in it for a while, or do you, now the talk is, do they go out and get somebody else? Jimmy Garoppolo? I mean, there's, I, listen, if I'm San Fran, 
Are you trading away Jimmy Garoppolo? <laughs> I'm not. I mean, so, okay, well, let's talk about the Bears 49ers game real quick yeah. because I don't know how much you can really take Tell. away yeah. from a game yeah. in which there was a, a like, Midwestern hurricane happening. Yeah. Like, the field had inches of rain pulled on it. The, the the lines were squiggly. Like, it looked miserable. I think the, the only thing you can take away from that game is how cool Justin Fields looked sliding into the puddles yeah. Yeah, in the end was zone cool. after they won. Yeah. But I've heard a lot of, you know, now that Dak is out, maybe Jimmy Garoppolo could get traded. And then my takeaway from, from all of that is, like, do you really think it's the best thing for – Jimmy Garoppolo, Trey Lance, and your fan base to put Jimmy Garoppolo back in at some point early in this season. And I know they hung on to him partially for that, partially because they couldn't get what they wanted out of him, but it just seems like every single person would be disappointed if they did that. So my thought on that, Jess, is um, I don't care about Trey Lance's feelings. I don't care about <laughs> Jimmy Garoppolo's feelings, and I don't care about the fans' feelings. Okay. I, take, I take everything from a player's perspective. You get X amount of bites at the apple. This Fair. is a good football team, good to really good team that has the potential to do something. And we've seen Garoppolo lead them to the Super Bowl, even though you don't have all the confidence in the world to him. So I don't care if Trey Lance might get bummed if he gets pulled. I don't care if Trey Lance is thinking to himself, man, I better play well or I'm going to lose my job. Get over it, man. You're in the pros. You have the job right now. Take advantage of that. And if you can't, I think of the other 52 guys on that locker room that are all getting older by a year, that have a good team now and could do something this year, that says, hey, the bottom line is winning. Give us that. Now, it's different for like the Jets or Jacksonville when you're trying to bring along a quarterback when your team doesn't really have a shot. San Fran does. So, man, if, if there's a situation where you got to say, you know what? We feel we can do something here and Trey's not getting it done. I'm putting Jimmy in. Put friggin' Jimmy in. I'm not worrying about people's feelings. You know what worries me? Because we've seen it is ego, an ego of a Lynch and a Shanahan who moved up to get Trey Lance, basically hitched their wagon to him. And then if they would have to admit at some point, ah, this isn't working and we're going back to Jimmy Garoppolo, a guy we were trying to get rid of in the offseason. I will say it doesn't look good and it doesn't bode well. And, and we got a while before we're going to get there. But if I'm San Fran, I'm not giving up Jimmy Garoppolo, not, not, not with the team that I have. Well, this is another reason why I'm unqualified to be a head coach of a football team, Mike, because I would not want to hurt anyone's feelings ever. <laughs> but I, you, you got to love hitching a wagon. It, it feels like NFL seasons always hitch a wagon season. Someone's hitching yes. a wagon somewhere. I've never hitched a wagon before, but it feels like everyone else is during football season. I love that expression. Thank you. Everybody else is going to hitch a wagon. <laughs> so it was a interesting week one. I, I think one of the other takes out of it, Jess, is you know, for all the how great uh, New England has been, I mean, wow, they, they could be in some real trouble this year. They went down like four days early to Miami because of the humidity. That didn't help for shit. They got smoked down there 20 to 7. Oh. You really wonder. I mean, this is really putting more and more people to say, man, it was more Brady than Belichick when those two together because Bill's not basically doing anything, you know, since the split. Well, we'll see what happens next weekend. New England's favored um, around a point over the Steelers. So uh, a battle of two maybe mediocre offenses. I, I know Mac Jones might have some sort of lingering back injury going into that. Um, right, yeah. But yeah, Mike, I, I will give credit to one coach this week weekend who um, I, I respect the hell out of what he did because it was something that I think everyone else criticized. But Lovey Smith going for the tie at the end yeah. of the Colts-Texans game. There were a number of times during that Steelers-Bengals game where I was like, all right, Steelers, just just tie this thing up. You're not going to score a touchdown. Your, your offense can't do anything. The best you'll get out of this is a tie. And then Lovey Smith actually did that uh, in overtime. So I kind of respect the move. Uh, you play to tie the game. Oh, my God, Jess. <laughs> oh, I hated it. I hate when you play to tie the game. Oh. <laughs> No, and I don't mind a tie. Listen, remember it was always sometimes played to where there was going to be a winner. I don't mind a tie. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily play for the tie, but uh, that was an interesting game with the Colts coming yes. back in that one. I mean, because that was one of those going, oh, shit, how is that happening? And then you saw Atlanta had the big lead on New Orleans, and New Orleans makes a comeback in that game. So always some interesting things going on there. We did have the one tie, obviously. 
Uh, and then your Steelers pulled out the other overtime game. So we are, we are off and running, uh, mm-hmm. in the NFL. And, uh, boy, I tell you, knowing that there's football all the way till February, uh, makes me ex- extremely happy. I, I hope my picks, uh, are a little better at this point. And, and speaking <laughs> of picks, let me, let me talk about for DraftKings, the Rainmakers, uh, the, the fantasy football league that, that, uh, DraftKings has with Rainmakers, which is just a new way of doing things with the NFTs out there and how you can acquire players. Well, they just had the Rainmakers Elite $300,000 Fiat Frenzy winning lineup. So the winner got $100,000. And man, you want a reason to play, man. $100,000 is a nice reason to play. And congrats to Car CJL9 because that's who won $100,000 thousand dollars and look at the team he had and the points he got uh for fantasy my fantasy was i finished like six in our group i was horrible (laughs) he had jalen hurts which had him over 24 points deandre swift had just under 30 points travis kelsey had over 29 points aj brown and what a start for aj brown uh with the eagles he had 28 and a half points and justin jefferson Justin Jefferson had over 42 points. So that was Carr CJL9's lineup, and it won him $100,000 in the Rainmakers Elite uh, 300,000 Fiat Frenzy. So congrats to him. And, gang, play. You can win some serious cash. You know, you're not going to win Scott Frost money, you know, $15 million for being <laughs> fired. But you can win some pretty good money. So uh, good job there. That, that, that was cool to see in week one as well. Yeah, and that that Vikings bet we were talking about last week is looking pretty yeah. good now. Although obviously the the Packers were a bit banged up, but Mike, if if our audience is listening to this on Wednesday, uh, NFL Week One was great, but Week Two is going to be awesome. Thursday night, the Chiefs favored over the Chargers. Who is your pick for that game? Before we go, wow, 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 man, did the Chiefs look good? So did the Chargers. I mean, the Chargers lived up, but the I'd say the two teams that looked the best were the Chiefs and the Bills in their week one, as far as going out and just dominating. Um, It's going to be tough to bet against Mahomes, the way that offense was moving the ball and looking. I have a feeling we'll see a decent amount of scores in this game. But, you know, with Bosa and Khalil Mack, you know, rushing for the Chargers as bookends on Mahomes, that's going to make it real, real interesting. I almost want to lean toward the Chargers because of the defensive side of the ball. As a matter of fact, I will. I'm going to do it, Jess. I'm going to go Chargers on the road. That's a tough pick to make but i'm gonna go chargers on the road i'm gonna go chargers with the points also on the road let's let's enjoy another week of football mike it's good to be back Woo!